This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. A bombshell report says that General Milley called China to reassure them after January 6th, but is that the full story? And bad news comes out of California after the Newsom recall election concludes. And more hypocrisy gets exposed from the Met Gala. We've got all that and much more coming up, and it starts right now. Hey, welcome to the news and why it matters. I am Hillary Kennedy filling in for Sarah Gonzalez. I've had a touch of laryngitis, so if my voice sounds a little funny, it wasn't because I was yelling at the television during the California election recall. Uh, enough about me, though. Let's get to the people who really matter today, those at the round table, like Mr. Eric July, our Blaze TV contributor and host of For Canon's Sake. We're glad to have you here. Thanks, thanks. And then we've got Justin Haskins with us today. Excited to have you here. You're the editorial director, the Heartland Institute, and editor-in-chief of Stopping Socialism.com. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here. Excited to have yeah. you here at the table. Okay, so we're going to start off with a story that has been all over the place today. We're trying to get to the bottom of it. Former President Trump, he accused General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, of treason over a report claiming that Milley called China to avoid a possible nuclear war after the January 6th rioting at the U.S. Capitol. Now, these claims about Milley, they come from a yet-to-be-released book entitled Peril, which is by Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Bob Costa. The book says that Milley called his counterpart in China to let them know that he would prevent Trump from ordering a nuclear attack on their country. Trump went on to cast doubt on the report, though, calling Woodward an overrated sleaze. And then a spokesman for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of General Mark Milley is defending these allegations of secret calls with Chinese counterparts, saying this conversation was vital to reducing tensions and avoiding unintended consequences or conflict. Uh, they're also saying these, were, these calls were reported, they were staffed, they were coordinated and communicated with the Department of Defense um, and the interagency they said that this was in keeping with his responsibilities as senior military advisor to the president. Um, and so they're saying, they told Fox News, they were not a secret that these calls took place over video teleconference and that this is normal for the joint, joint chiefs of staff to do. So I would love to know, what do you guys make of the allegations made in the book? What are your thoughts? Well, I don't know what happened. None of us will ever really know for sure what happened. We don't have a recording or something like that. But if what was reported to be true is actually true, then I'm not sure that it's treason because I'm not sure that you could argue that China is officially an enemy of the state. But I think you could say it's unofficially treason. It's pretty close when you have a general saying to another general of a foreign nation, especially a nation like China, hey, you know, I'm going to let you know if we ever attack you, don't worry. I'll tell you before we attack you. I'll let you in on classified information and give you a heads up in case we decide that we're going to go to war with you. 
That is about as close to treason as you can get without actually touching upon the legal definition of treason. That is a massive scandal. And the mainstream media seems to be focused on the, well, they didn't trust Trump part. We already know that the establishment doesn't like Trump. The FBI ran this ridiculous collusion investigation, uh, taking things from the Hillary Clinton, that was funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign. The, the idea that, that this is some big shocking thing is, you know, nuts. But to have a general making cutting secret deals with generals of other nations that's hostile to the United States in certain ways, that is so terrifying. And for them to say, oh no, it's it's totally fine, this is normal, that's even creepier. <laughs> what do you think, Eric? Do you think that even if he did do this, do you think it was justified? Do you think he was out of bounds? What are your thoughts? Well, I think that's the conversation that, or rather what Trump's frustration may be, centered around less about, um, you know, like obviously he wants to know if it's treason or he's saying that it is, or rather claiming that it is treason. I don't think that's particularly important because what it is and what his frustration is centered around is the undermining of him by way of this general so uh you know reading some of those reports where it's like if it came to like the like nukes uh if trump wanted to use them, the general would have been like no like that when we start crossing into that sort of territory that's what people mean when they talk about the deep state where it's like okay this guy isn't really trump isn't really in control here there's someone else in control now yeah when you're dealing with countries rather like China, of course, there's always going to be some idea that there is uh, <laughs> that's indefensible, right? Like, why are we why are you cutting any sort of deals? Uh, certain, certainly with them. But when it looks like you're undermining who they deem as the commander in chief, that more so, I think, speaks to a way larger issue that goes well beyond really, really Trump or anything else. And that is that there are other people when it comes to the American military that are actually in control and it's not the president. Now, who that is, those stones start to get uh, kind of rolled over. We start to see some very, very ugly things. And that's when I get called a conspiracy theorist here on the show. But. I don't know, but that's that's the story right there. It's that there is an, a general that is willing to work with an, a foreign country and uh, undermine the president if that's what he wants to do. Well, it's interesting because what we're hearing from his camp is that they were saying, well, we wanted to let China know after the riots that things in America are stable. They don't need to worry. But should we care what China thinks? Yeah, that, that was the that's here? the bizarre thing about that. Like, I can totally get where someone would look at another country and just say, look, there's no beef here. This is an internal issue. However, I don't see what the hell January 6th, how that somehow becomes a threat to China. That was a weird, bizarre kind of take on that situation. Mm -hmm. So again, when I hear something like that, or rather see that when I first read it, I'm like, what else is actually uh, going on here? Because that's a bizarre reach. Like, how could January 6th then turn or rather ensure there's being some sort of threat upon China? What does China have to do with uh, those Congress women and, and, and men ducking under their desk as people with little American flags and dude bros just went there and screamed a lot? Yeah, I mean, if you if, if you actually believe that General Milley was convinced that China was convinced that January sixth meant we're gonna go to war with China tomorrow. That's weird, man. Then, then General, then, then you're an idiot. I'm sorry, but that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Okay, yeah. So January sixth happens. Totally internal issue. There's not even any animosity at the January sixth rally directed toward China. China. Exactly. It's totally internal. And I'm supposed to believe that China was convinced that they were about to be attacked. There's gonna be a nuclear holocaust, and that this guy had to step in and and make secret deals with other with the Chinese general in order to prevent that from happening 
I'm, that, there's no way that that's true. I don't know what's going on. Just like no. you said, I have no clue. But whatever it is, it's not that story that they're telling everybody. True. Well, and it sounds like it's more than just the United States that yeah. is concerned about the rise of China because the U.S. has plans to announce this new effort with United Kingdom and Australia three of the five nations in the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance, they're going to focus on advanced technologies in an apparent effort to counter Chinese aggression. It's going to be known by the acronym AUKUS, A-U-U-K-U-S. So it's going to make it a little bit easier for the nations to share information on and know-how in key technologies like artificial intelligence, cyber, underwater systems, long-range strike capabilities, that kind of thing. So it, it makes you wonder, is America finally starting to see China as a threat? That is a tough question to answer. I mean, I think in some case, like economically, you would have to consider them a threat, which I think all things more so stem uh, certainly from that. You don't worry about a country that's, let's say, poorer rather than you when they become like more of an economic powerhouse. That's when you start to start to worry. And what's happened with with China, and this is a double edged sword here that people a lot of people don't want to discuss. Um, sort of like the regulatory issues that really send a lot of business out he- out here to to China. Why people and I say this as someone that's been involved in like merchandise and other sorts of things. People don't just go to China, let's say, to to seek that, which officially makes China more rich, like just because they want to do it. No, it's because, well, it costs is way cheaper out there. But we need to address that actual problem. Why? How China has been able to uh, become an economic powerhouse in the way that they have really by way of the regulatory bodies out here in, in America. But that's a completely different conversation. Um, I guess what's going on here is that maybe they're trying to acknowledge that they are at least some sort of threat because maybe they have become a more of an economic uh, superpower in, in sort of that regards where a lot of these countries, especially the United States of America, relies actually. Actually, a lot of industries rely upon what China does. So maybe if they, let's say, pull the plug or anything like that, that would really derail a lot of uh, industries in the United States of America. So when I look at that, they're seeing them as a threat. I don't know if it's more of a militaristic thing. I don't necessarily maybe maybe agree with that. I think this is more economic than anything else. And this is more so using that as an excuse uh, to justify whatever they're going to do. But when we start to get in, like, definitely with some of these communistic sort of countries, historically, speaking that always equals some sort of spying or aggression rather upon their human beings within those geographical areas and we see what's going on with Australia right now mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if uh, cutting deals with them for anything seems to be a great <laughs> idea <laughs> not for us at least yeah yeah I, I can see that do I think that they believe that China is a serious threat uh, no and the reason I think that they don't believe it's a serious threat is because they just walked out of Afghanistan, handed it over to the Taliban, which had already cut a deal with China. And now China's probably going to be mining the rare earth minerals and building pipelines in Afghanistan. Who knows? Pretty soon, probably mm-hmm. in the next few months, they'll start laying the groundwork for that. If they really were concerned about China, then you would think that that would have been one of the first places they started. And oh, by the way, the president of the United States, his son was cutting deals with Chinese officials. And then you've got people allied. I mean, Joe Biden may have actually been getting some of that money, according to some of the reports that came out from Hunter Biden's laptop. And then on top of that, you've got key Biden allies at groups like BlackRock and these giant investment management companies cutting deals with the Communist Party 
party of China uh, in order to do business in China. And you don't get a deal like that unless you have done some really dirty stuff. So do I think they take it seriously? No, I think <laughs> I don't think so at all. I, I don't know if it's a good idea, as you said, to be sharing information with these groups. Maybe that's a good idea to, you know, United Kingdom and Australia are certainly not our enemies per se. Uh, but do I think they take China seriously? I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that they are taking them seriously enough. Right. Well, and I just want to point out to the former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, he said in a Fox News interview on Sunday that Biden was the biggest national security threat facing the U.S. because of his weakness when it comes to foreign policy. So very interesting. We only have a couple of minutes, but I do want to talk about this. Uh, Republican Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, he confronted Secretary of State Antony Blinken at Tuesday's hearing before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and he challenged him on that report about the drone strike carried out by the United States that accidentally killed an aid worker and his family rather than an ISIS-K operator. We've got a clip of that. Take a listen. The guy the Biden administration droned, was he an aid worker or an ISIS-K operative? Uh, the administration is, of course, reviewing that, uh, that strike. Uh, and I'm sure that a you know, full assessment will be, will be forthcoming. So you don't know if it was an aid worker or an ISIS-K operative? Uh, I can't speak to that, and I can't speak to that in this setting in any event. So you don't know or won't tell us? Uh, I, don't, I don't know because we're, we're reviewing it. Okay, your thoughts on his statement and how scary it is that they don't seem to know whether it was one of our own or an ISIS. That's, look, this is, I know that a lot of people woke up to this over the last year, but this is par for the course for the milita uh, militaristic, like, <laughs> what they do in the Middle East, they've done this and it's existed long before Biden. Uh, we know, or rather his presidency before Trump, even before uh, Obama, but Obama was certainly special in bombing hospitals um, and all sorts of other things uh, that had nothing to do with whatever effort they were doing. And then after the fact, we sort of find out about it. But it's scary. But this is, uh, ironically enough, what his father would talk about, what uh, Ron Paul would talk about so much about this concept of a blowback. When you go out there and you're being irrational about how you go about going to war with other countries and you get other civilians definitely in this capacity killed, what ends up happening is that you generally radicalize them. And then those people are like, you know, those people that chant death to America, they're not all just people that were, let's say, raised by uh, terrorist groups or something like that. Could you imagine some boy seeing that his, uh, his, his family was drone struck and, and, and killed and they find out that that was, of course, something that was either sponsored by, paid for, directly, direct involvement was by way of the American military. It's amazing that they come out, maybe coming out of, uh, let's say, hating America. But this is all what his father, ironically, would talk so much, so much about. And it is an irrational thing that this guy has absolutely no idea what happened. And they're looking at, like, yeah, we, we dropped this, this bomb, essentially, and we'll figure out who got killed later after the fact. That is reckless, man. Reckless. I agree. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. And I would add that I think that what they were trying to do uh, was to get a win 
Uh, they, they were trying to get a win in Afghanistan uh, so that they could say, well, we, we killed somebody yeah, bad. Yeah, and point. they probably ended up killing somebody who wasn't bad. They probably yeah. ended up killing an aid worker or a bunch of innocent people in the process. So just add it to the long list of horrible, disastrous things that this presidency has has done in its very short time in office. Absolutely despicable. We're going to find out it was a, an aid worker. Mm -hmm. He says he doesn't know. He knows, of <laughs> course. He just doesn't want to admit it in that setting. And uh, again, add it to the long list of horrible things this administration has already done. Yeah, agreed. All right, so we've got to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Gavin Newsom, so stick with us. Good old Gavin. All right, so we're going to talk about the California election recall and Eric brought up a good point during the break. Gavin Newsom, he looks like a comic book villain, doesn't, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Just, he looks exactly, just, exactly like one. Obviously, that's something yes. I dive very deep into he's, all the time. I know a comic book villain when I see one. Yes. And that's what Gavin Newsom just is. With his punchable face. <laughs> all right. Well, so he's going to keep his job. I know we had high hopes for California, but the majority of Californians did vote no, meaning uh, he will remain in office uh, he was overwhelmingly elected back in 2018. Uh, we had high hopes for Larry Elder doing some things, uh, but that obviously didn't happen. However, there could be a rematch between the two next year when Newsom is up for re-election for a full four-year term. And Elder said, we may have lost the battle, but we are going to win the war. Were, were you surprised by this result? I think everybody at the table... I was kind of hoping that it would be a little bit closer. Yeah. Uh, I think it was like 63, almost 64% voted to keep them. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> I don't know who these people are or what they've been smoking or what they've been watching on television over the past year, but they're clearly high out of their minds because there's no logical, rational reason for voting for Gavin Newsom. Even if you hated Larry Elder, you could have voted for somebody else. In the second part of this, there were like 50 candidates. You're telling me that you couldn't find out of those 50 people someone who would be better than than Gavin Newsom, someone with a less punchable face. <laughs> I mean, just somebody. I mean, I, I think that's the shocking part. The, the, the weird thing about California is that over time, there's been an exodus, right? Everyone with common sense is leaving California. And in a way, that's a great thing because California is horrible. Vote with your feet. I get it. But the problem with that is the more the sane people leave California, the greater the proportion of insane people that remain in California right. and the worse things get. And so 20 years ago, Gavin Newsom probably wouldn't have survived this. But today, Gavin Newsom does because everybody's <laughs> leaving California. So how, how much longer, how much more... How many more catastrophes do do and hypocrisies do the people of California need to see before they decide to move on to someone else, to something different? I don't know, but apparently this wasn't enough. Well, I thought it was interesting, too, because Gavin Newsom, rather than make it totally about himself, uh, which was unusual, he, he said that these people voted for science and um, vaccinations and yes to ending the pandemic, and that's why <laughs> they voted to keep him. Look... The reality is that California is a failed state, okay? And I, I was talking about this earlier this morning, and this is, um, I, I mean this sincerely. I think that people that value liberty, I don't care what you call yourself, libertarian, conservative, that you're in California, I think, I wouldn't know, well, let me say this first. I would never knock anybody for staying and fighting anywhere. I don't care if, where you're at. Um, that is an effort that is admirable. However, I do think that there is a case to be made 
for people getting the hell up out of there. And I'm not saying just strictly moving to Texas. There's plenty of other states. You got the Floridas of the world, the Tennessees of the world to get out and be more closer to people that are more aligned up with you. I think all this is because if it was closer, I could understand that. But considering that it wasn't really even close, I think that says a lot. These people and I, I get it right. And, and the, the reason why I would say that it's a case to be made for liberty, because all of all of those cocky people that are in the Californias of the world really rely upon people that are existing within that economy that do actually value liberty, that do stay and fight, whether they participate in it by way of being a worker or owning a business or whatever it is. That cripples them in the event that y'all leave. So they can sit there and hot side on Twitter all day long and think, yeah, go get the hell out. We don't want you here anyway. But uh, it'll hit the fan at, at some point in time. The economic law does not care about your Twitter likes and retweets or anything. So I think there's a case to be made for people that are actually out there that value liberty. You can get to somewhere and maybe even say that state wants people because some folks just got to get bumped. I'm from the hood. So I get it. Some people, they don't get it until they hit their head up against the wall. And then they're like, oh, wow, that actually that actually is painful. Right. So some people have to see it all go to the complete crapper. But there are unfortunately a lot of people that are maintaining that economy right now that aren't these deranged leftists and they depend on you. So it's nothing wrong. You're not a coward or anything like that, because California is unique in that sense that they're that far gone. It ain't nothing wrong with going somewhere else, relocating, getting closer to some uh, allies and regrouping. I think California is a failed state. And to be honest, I think a lot of people as admirable as as you may, I think that you are, you may be fighting a losing effort considering that the zombies now run that country. Right. I mean, or that state. So if you don't want to leave, I would suggest maybe getting in a part of California and breaking up and, be, you know, becoming maybe break California in three, four. You know, I'm a secessionist at the end of the day. <laughs> I would love to see something like that happen. So if you don't want to leave, maybe even consider that y'all getting somewhere north, I don't know, South California and saying, all right, we're breaking away. I like that you're giving them options, Eric. Yes. <laughs> Gave you a couple options. Right. Yes. All right. So we're going to talk about something that's a, a sad story. There were uh, Olympic champions Simone Biles, Michaela Maroney, and Ali Raisman, along their fellow gymnast Maggie Nichols. They recounted their experiences before the Senate Judiciary Committee in wake of a Justice Department Inspector General's report that revealed how the FBI failed to act on their complaints against uh, Larry Nasser, who was their doctor for USA Gymnastics, and how he was able to continue his pattern of abuse against young women and girls. Uh, Simone Bile said, in reviewing the OIG's report, it truly feels that the FBI turned a blind eye to us and went out of its way to protect uh, USA Gymnastics and USOPC. A message needs to be sent if you allow a predator to harm children. The consequences will be swift and severe. Enough is enough. Uh, Maroney even said, you know, she spoke with the FBI for hours on the phone and they documented the abuse, but they made entirely false claims about what she said. She was so disappointed in the way that it was handled. What do you think about what these girls had to say about the FBI? Because it was definitely eye opening. Yeah, I think one of the things that first is horribly tragic story. It's hard to believe that what these women are saying is wrong because why would they make all of this up? It certainly doesn't help them in any way for them to make it up. It's very believable. What we've learned over the past decade or so is that the FBI, 
uh, and not a lot of people knew this beforehand, but there's a lot of people who did not know this who are now waking up and realizing that the FBI, national security apparatus, and other people are not necessarily on the right side of a lot of these issues. And at the end of the day, in many cases, it's a cover your butt bureaucratic giant you know giant bureaucracy that's only interested in protecting itself protecting other big institutions they don't really care about the people that they say they supposedly care about there are many great people in the fbi i'm sure but it's a bureaucracy and it's and like all gigantic bureaucracies people innocent people often get caught up in that often do not have their rights protected and we've seen the fbi become an absolute just disaster. Does anyone really trust that the FBI is going to solve your problems at this point in time? I mean, I certainly don't. And I don't think anyone else should expect that. We need massive, massive reforms of all of these gigantic institutions. And I'm worried that we're not going to see that because there's only a handful of voices in Washington that seem interested in doing that. Well, I mean, do you get a sense that maybe some higher profile people are speaking out about the way that the government is being run and it's maybe making a difference that people are really starting to say like, hey, something's not right here and I've got to speak up. Yeah, I mean, I think some people knew a lot of those institutions, uh, definitely those alphabet uh, institutions that they've been corrupt for a very long time. But the problem is, I think that so many people think that once they get like their guy, like in a position of power, that they can change that. But when you have something that foundationally is jacked up, you can't do that. Like it has to be eliminated. I know terms like abolition make guys very scared. Like they make the terms like that, the decentralization, oh, clutch the pearls, you can't do that. But seriously, it's something that's necessary. The FBI has been screwing up historically for a very long time, but they get away with the loot. It's kind of like we see these guys that are tied to these alphabet uh, agencies and you know you wonder how they can get something disastrously wrong for so long and still have a job. Fauci. Um, he's he's one of those. This isn't the first pandemic epidemic that he screwed up. I would encourage people to go look up how he jacked the, uh, the HIV AIDS sort of crisis back in the gap. Yet still unelected as he is, he's still there and he's outlasted. I mean, he's been there longer than I've literally been alive. But that's sort of how those institutions operate. You're completely correct that they do nothing but protect other people and at the end of the uh, well other people big big people not mm-hmm. like the little guys but if it ultimately means they have to save themselves and they their own integrity definitely in terms of how they look to other like world leaders and whatnot they're going to always take saving themselves before they try to save some other people and that sucks because you get a bunch of folks that look to them like it's got to be the fbi something like this that's so disastrous they have to help us out they have to uh, uh kind of uproot all of this nonsense and then it's like they look the other way but that just speaks to how bad they actually are. But it ain't just the FBI people. It's a lot of them. That's so true. Well, it was a, it's a really sad story, but we, we are grateful for those Olympians that spoke up and are sharing the truth. And that was a very brave thing to do. All right, we've got to go to break. We'll be back in just a minute. Yeah, it's amazing how similar all of their stories were. And so yet, creepy. Yeah. So by now, I'm sure most of you have seen AOC on the red carpet for the Met Gala wearing her tax the rich dress. Well, President Biden, he's jumping on her train. He sent out a tweet saying, if you make less than 400,000 per year, I'll never raise your taxes one penny. But if you're at the very top, it's time to pay your fair share. We need to reward work in this country, not just wealth. 
Then he doubled down saying, look, I don't want to punish anyone's success, but the wealthy have been getting a free ride at the expense of the middle class for too long. I intend to, uh, to pass one of the biggest middle class tax cuts ever paid for by making those at the top pay their fair share. It's time the super wealthy and big corporations pay their fair share in taxes. So then AOC returned the favor only 23 minutes later as she pushed Biden's Build Back Better Act, saying, couldn't agree more. Taxing the rich will help us expand Medicare, extend childcare, take action on climate, and so much more. We have a precious opportunity right now in reconciliation with the Build Back Better Act, and we should use it. So Biden says that he doesn't want to punish anyone's success, but isn't that exactly what he would be doing? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of problems with this. The first is, number one, the idea that we need to tax wealthy people in order to pay for government programs is totally absurd. You just print the money. That's what we've been doing for a long time now. I mean, it's not like we're actually taxing people and then spending the money. Everything that gets taxed, that's already been spent many, many years ago. We're, we're way off on that. We are now spend trillions of dollars more than we actually take in. So that's not what this is about. This is about politics. It's about uh, punishing certain people in order to appease other political groups of people. The idea that the wealthy are not paying their fair share is also an incredibly ridiculous concept. The like 70% of all income tax revenue comes from the top 10% of earners. This past year, didn't I think almost 70% of people didn't even pay income tax. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the idea that the people who use almost no government services and pay almost all of the taxes are not paying their fair share in taxes <laughs> is one of the dumbest arguments <laughs> I can possibly imagine. Of course they're paying their fair share. And also, what is a fair share exactly? Because they keep saying they've got to pay their fair share. We've heard this forever. No matter what the tax rate is. Can someone please just ask the president of the United States, specifically tell us what is a fair share tax at which income levels for right. all time so we can finally settle this, make it those tax rates, and then never raise taxes ever again? Because, I mean, with that, in that line of thinking, like, wouldn't a flat tax be the best option then? Well, I agree with Ron Paul in that the tax should be zero. <laughs> <laughs> Taxation is theft, or rather extortion, by, a theft by way of extortion, and it always has been. Effectively, all tax historically, and right now, in terms of what Biden is advocating, it's just specifically used as a means to punish other people. Folks look at other wealthy people, and they think, okay, that person shouldn't have uh, uh, the money. So what's the better alternative to give it the money or rather the money be stolen from the institution that has piled up 30 trillion dollars worth of debt they don't got the money speaking to your point they've been printing the money i don't know how for, 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 for well really forever that's what the federal reserve allowed them to do essentially monetize their their own debt so you're completely correct that they're spending money right now that's on, on the backs of like future generations right now that's what the money they're actually spending so when they take that they're just taking it just to just to take it but that's how it's been used. This whole fair share nonsense is just that because we know factually speaking as in it's not up for dispute. Rich people pay taxes. They might not pay it like you want them to pay it. But when it comes to the actual amount of money that is being taken from people by way of taxation, most of it is coming from rich folk. Now, when I look at folks not paying taxes, I look at that and say, how do we increase that number? 
How do we get from, okay, these people ain't paying, uh, they got taken advantage of this loophole to where they're not getting taxed. Okay, how do we make more people be able to take advantage of that? Because why would I want to give the money to a bunch of criminals and crooks who ain't going to do nothing but spend it on war efforts or welfare statism that does nothing but incentivize failure? So Biden and AOC, they talk about all this welfare statism and all that, but effectively all they want to do is punish richer people and to act as if all of those are folks which how AOC loves this talking point she acts as if all of them that are at the top just got there or rather by the way of their parents or something like that I would encourage people to go look up how many millionaires are actually self-made it's a lot actually a, a significant amount of them not people that got some sort of money by way of their family or mother or father mm-hmm. or something like that these are people that actually went and grind and got theirs and that's what you do when they cross into a new tax bracket you st- want to steal more money for them you are punishing them for the success you're my favorite person to ask about oh well, taxation, we're about, about taxation. So i'm going off you know it. Love it all right so we just have a little bit to talk about this but uh, while we're on the topic of the met gala um, you noticed that all the celebrities that were being photographed on the red carpet were maskless, but all of the people working in the background had masks on. So the help was forced to wear those masks, but apparently all of the elites were not. So it's very interesting because what do you what do you make of these celebrities that are just these huge proponents of everyone wear your mask, be vaccinated? Because everyone that was at the Met Gala was required to be vaccinated. They were required to show a negative PCR test the day before the event. Um, They did say they had to wear masks indoors, except while eating and drinking. But the red carpet, of course, was outside. But they didn't have any of these celebrities wearing masks. So it just it, it had a very it had a very like the little people should be wearing their masks, but all the rest of us were fine. What do you make of these celebrities touting one thing on their social media and everybody wear a mask, but then not doing it? I mean, is it just par for the course? Yeah, this is what we should expect. I would be shocked if they were wearing masks. I would be shocked if they let the help not wear a mask. Mm -hmm. At this point in time, the rules only apply to everyone who's not an elite. If you're an elite, the rules don't apply to you. We saw this with Gavin Newsom. Mm Was he punished for not wearing masks, for going out and not social distancing and all that? Nope, he wasn't punished for that. We saw this with Barack Obama and his big birthday bash out in, uh, what what was it, Martha's Vineyard, right? Where he had people show up and when they asked him about, well, why weren't you all wearing masks and why weren't you social distancing? They said, well, it was a sophisticated crowd. Right. So the the sophisticated people, they don't have to wear masks because that's the immunity you see to COVID-19. This is is Fauci logic. If you're just sophisticated enough, then you don't have to worry about it. You can't contract it. That's this is how all elites throughout all of history have thought. Yes. The rules don't need to apply to us because we are the shepherds of society and you're all the stupid sheep. And if just the stupid sheep did what we told them, we would all be better off. But we shouldn't have to live by these rules. It's why Leo DiCaprio flies around in a private jet. It's why Al Gore lives in a gigantic mansion. They say that they care about global warming, but they're doing all these things that don't suggest that that's the case. This is what we should expect. Expect the elites to treat you like you're a piece of garbage and that the rules don't apply to them. Agreed. I mean, that's exactly, I can't even add anything to that because that was perfectly put. The, The rules don't apply to them, but the thing is they know that. Like, I don't know if you guys saw like the the guy holding the it looks so bad holding a dress 
uh, of uh, of AOC, mm-hmm. and he's all maxed up, and it's just it just really represents everything going <laughs> on right now because all of these guys apply these rules to you all. They expect you to follow them, and then when it comes to them, no, no, no. Those those certain rules have nothing to do with them. You get punished. You're the peasant. We are the great elites, and you do what we say, but. We ain't do. We don't live amongst you guys, and we certainly aren't gonna do what we tell you guys to do. That's right. More rules for thee, not yep. for me. Every time. All right, we're going to break. When we come back, we're gonna be talking about uh, Facebook. We're doing more <laughs> shady stuff. Join us in a minute. Well, as if we didn't already distrust Facebook completely, it's been exposed that they have this secret program that exempted celebrities and VIPs from their moderation policies. An internal review calls it a breach of trust. So for years, though, Zuckerberg has insisted that it's ground level on his platform. The company treats all of its nearly 3 billion users equally. But according to this Wall Street Journal report, this, this program, secret program, X-Check or Cross-Check was what it was called, it has long allowed these celebrities and politicians and some other high-profile accounts to avoid the policies that other users have to follow, like hate speech or sexual material or things that are considered bullying, incitement to violence. So a lot of accounts you know, that maybe you or I run, they would be banned for and censured, um, but then these privileged users, they get a hands-off approach. And maybe they'll get flagged, but it will take three or four instances before Facebook does anything about it. So this is kind of similar to the last story we talked about. Facebook is continuing this trend of letting these VIPs off the hook and have more freedom than you know, the little people. What do you think about this? The idea that Facebook is treating everybody equally or any of these big tech companies is obviously laughably ridiculous. We know that they're not because they've been treating conservatives differently, including high profile conservatives for a very long time. They banned the president of the United States (laughs) from their platform while he was president of the United States. They censored Senator Rand Paul and other people for posting material that was just asking questions or pointing out scientifically factual data. Uh, the New York Post wa- wasn't allowed to share information uh, about a very credible story about Hunter Biden's laptop. No one else was allowed to share that story either, even talk about it publicly, not even privately in the direct messaging features of some of these platforms where they allowed to share that information. So we know that they treat people differently. So am I surprised that they treat the VIPs even a little more differently? Mm-hmm. Of course not. Well, we, the Taliban is allowed <laughs> to have their platform on Twitter. Twitter. So, uh, yeah, I'm not shocked by this at all. I'm shocked that they just don't come right out and admit it. I don't know what they're waiting for. Why don't they just come out and admit, you know what? Yeah, we treat people differently based on, you know, whether they're celebrity, based on whether they're mm-hmm. conservative. Just be upfront about it. I mean, they're not fooling anybody at yeah. this point. Yeah. That's what I would agree with. Like, I expect them. I mean, we, we see this coming from, like, I know a different company, Amazon now owns Twitch, but Twitch does this with some of their their partners, with some of the, definitely some of the, the women that are on that platform get away with basically getting banned uh, for, th- like, three, four, five times, and they're never actually taken off the platform. And then you get some people that get one infraction, and they're completely gone. So they play by a different set of rules, and I understand it definitely if you're partnered with someone. But like you mentioned, just come out and say it. 
there's no reason. It's, I think that's the frustration with, with definitely with me as mm-hmm. a person that creates on some of these platforms. Like, look, if you just came out and said, okay, if you are of this ilk, yeah, this, most of the rules don't really apply to you, or we're going to give you a little a little more leniency. Okay, whatever. People can then act accordingly. But Zuckerberg and a lot of, we've seen Jack do this with Twitter, where they act as if this is something that is ill, you know, we apply this equally almost across the board. It doesn't have a political slant, which, of course, you don't believe it. You go look at the data that we have of really all of these big tech companies, and most of their, their uh, employees lean a certain uh, way, and it's not even close. Yeah, I think policies uh, that are pertaining to what kind of material is allowed to exist, that's going to be impacted by that. But just come out and say it. Stop acting like you are trying to be welcoming to virtually everybody on any side of the political spectrum and you apply all rules equally and fairly. Don't say that. Uh, We know that you're lying. And there will be actually, I think, less of a problem if you did that. But they're never going to do that. Well, you're right. And it isn't just Facebook. I had done a bunch of research on OnlyFans and how they're doing this as well, where their top earners, the people that are the big moneymakers and bring the most money into the platform, they will be given five, six, seven chances, according to insiders in this report that the BBC did, kind of exposing this. But some of the little people that aren't top earners, they will be cut off right away yep. if they post something that's inappropriate. But some of these top earners, I mean, it will go on. It'll be, it'll stay up there for months. Yeah. So it's, it's not surprising, but it's disappointing for sure. All right, so let's talk about something else. The Justice Department took some action late yesterday against the controversial Texas abortion law, asking a federal court to immediately stop enforcement of the law while the legality of that law remains in limbo. Um, The Justice Department just asked them, please temporarily or preliminarily prevent this enforcement because they're saying it violates the Constitution, specifically the 14th Amendment and Supremacy Clause. Um, They're saying the federal government has the authority and responsibility to ensure that Texas cannot insulate itself from judicial review for its constitutional violations and to protect the important federal interests that this law impairs. So what do you make of the DOJ's actions here? Well, I think at the foundation of all of this is the fundamental difference between these two groups that one side believes it is a constitutional right to have an abortion up to at least a certain period of time. And the other group of people really fundamentally completely disagree with that and don't believe it's a constitutional right. And regardless of whether you think abortion should be allowed or shouldn't be allowed, really, the issue is, is about the law and is about the Constitution fundamentally, right? And my problem with this is, if you look at the Constitution, I don't see anywhere in the Constitution that would suggest that the federal government has any authority to make rules about health issues at all, about the definition of a human being, about when life begins, about any of that. And I think that the, the that Roe v. Wade, just from a legal perspective, when you're looking at the actual arguments made in Roe v. Wade, is a horrible case. It's really stupid. The arguments make no sense at all. And again, it, it's more of an issue for me about how you want to interpret the Constitution. And so fundamentally, Texas, many people in Texas don't believe that there's any protection constitutionally for abortion. So of course, they're totally fine with doing something that would seem to violate certain aspects of Roe v. Wade or whatever. Um, Really, what needs to be addressed is Roe v. Wade. 
The, the Supreme Court needs to take that back up again in a in a more specific way. They've done it several times since then, but they need to do it again, and they need to address some of the fundamental issues that, that Roe v. Wade did a horrible job of dealing with. And until we have that, we're going to have all sorts of these cases that pop up over time. Of course, I think the Supreme Court's a bunch of cowards, so I don't think they're going to do it. Uh, but I would like to see that because this is really an issue of do you believe the Constitution is a living and breathing document that we can read all sorts of rights into that don't necessarily exist or all sorts of powers into that don't really exist? Or do states under the Tenth Amendment have the authority to make decisions for themselves except for those things expressly given to the federal government in Articles 1 and Article 2 of the Constitution? That's the issue that needs to be dealt with, and it has not been dealt with for a very long time uh, because the Supreme Court doesn't want to deal with really politically toxic issues. Well, hopefully we'll see that happen. I have to go to break, but when we come back, I especially want to know Eric's take on this and Dr. Fauci being dubbed the sexiest man alive. Stick with us. <laughs> Time to stay out with a straight face. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to say this with a straight face, but a British newspaper, The Guardian, it dubbed Dr. Anthony Fauci its sexiest man alive in a social media post. Very quickly, Eric, give me your thoughts. This is why he won't go away. Um, I believe that he's narcissistic or psychopath. I, I don't know what he, what the actual <laughs> medical term that you want to use to describe this man, but he's gotten it disastrously wrong on this, taking both sides of, of multiple issues. But if you wonder why this guy just can't get enough, this is why. Because they keep giving him admiration and praise that he's never got ever. He's been around forever, but he's getting to throw the first pitch of a baseball game. He's being worshipped at the altar by weird blue check mark celebrities. And uh, he looks like an elf, but he's considered the sexiest man uh, alive because reasons. That's why that man keeps speaking in the way that he does. Eric, thank you for being here. Totally agree with everything you just said. <laughs> Justin Haskins, thank you for being Thanks here. Thanks so much. I've got five seconds. Tell me your thoughts. Sexy or no? Uh, not sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with not sexy. All right. Fauci, not sexy. We all agree. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the news and why it matters. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to watch the program, become a Blaze TV subscriber and start your free trial now at blazetv.com.